I know. I, I, yeah. I panic every time you say oof oof. I say, what the hell? I'm always amazed you, you don't now? prepare something. You do it on the spot each time. <laughs> That's right. I do. I don't know what I would prepare. Maybe. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, I'm here with Dr. Graham Sanders of the University of Toronto. And I'm not an inflatable monkey. That was just an impression of one. And I'm here with Ray Watt-Dianandon, professor at the University of Ottawa, who is an inflatable monkey. Just on weekends. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we should mention our uh, affiliates. We have uh, uh, an association with Checked, C-H-E-K-D, which is a company out of New York that offers in-home blood testing and other medical services. To check them out, uh, go to sciencemonkey.ca slash C-H-E-K-D. Mm. As well, to uh, check out our books, which are excellently well-written. Oh, they're so excellently well-written. Excellently well-written, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> don't don't take don't take that characterization as evidence of being excellently well written. Superbly, uh, goodly expressed. We write English goodly, goodly. Uh, go to sciencemonkey.ca/amazon. And so, so you said affiliates in the plural. So yeah. we are our own affiliates. Is that what why you're not? Yeah, okay. Why not? We have an affiliate relationship with Amazon as well, mm. as many people do. So. Um, uh, if you go through our link and buy anything off Amazon, we'll get a piece of that. Ah, so we could Science Monkey could be the portal to Amazon. That is for correct. All of our that is correct. Listeners, yeah. Uh, so you know, last episode we learned that the Romans use what as mouthwash? Urine, but not just any urine. Portuguese urine of Portuguese urine. people. Yeah. Right. So uh, continue on that theme. I think today <laughs> it's a wonderful. Theme. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about other things involving tooth care ah. and that controversial element called fluoride. We also learned that you're eating grapefruit eroded your enamel. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for so reminding me of those painful what? days. So what's going on with your enamel now? It wasn't as bad as I let, let you know. Oh, okay. right. um, but I use you know sensitive tooth toothpaste. Right. Now I feel so exposed and vulnerable yeah, now. Just like your teeth. <laughs> so fluoride is one of those controversial topics like vaccination other things where there's always a, a strong contingent in the population that feels we shouldn't put fluoride in water. Do you know why that is? Why they feel that way? Yeah. Because they love conspiracies. Anything, <laughs> anything the government does, these are the, the same people that, that look at contrails in the sky and think that they're... Just, well, fluoride is toxic. Yeah. You know, it's no, a, of course. It's neurotoxin. Yeah. I looked it up. Um, oh. You have to... I mean, 10 milligrams is, a, is the dose, which is considered up to 10 milligrams a day is fine. Uh, and then to be lethal, I think the lowest dose they have accounted is 5 grams. Uh, per person. Per person. That's pretty. That's a lot. Yeah. So the difference between ten milligrams and five grams is huge. Huge. Um, and supposedly, in uh, we'll get one point four milligrams of fluoride if you drink three liters of water, or something like mm. that. Well, I mean, scientifically, fluoride is on the same column as iodine on the periodic table. Mm. I think someone's going to correct me if that's wrong. And well, iodine. Barry Westcott will. Yeah. <laughs> One of our friends, Barry Westcott, is a superstar chemist. And we, we ingest iodine all the time. It's in my salt, right? Exactly. Well, the government puts iodine in the salt to prevent thyroid See, disease. The government. See, that's what's getting people upset. Yes. The government, and the government puts fluoride in the water to yeah. prevent tooth decay. Right. But because fluoride and iodine are chemically similar, and iodine is quite toxic if misused, then people uh, assume that fluoride behaves the same way. I'm assuming 
I'm not assuming I know everything's chemicals, mm-hmm. even natural things that people like organic things, they're all chemicals. All things are chemicals. And many chemicals at a certain dosage will be lethal and at other doses will hey, be water nutritious. Water is lethal at a certain dosage. Or, or benign. Right? Yeah. Oxygen um, is lethal. I mean, this is an analogy, uh, but alcohol, you have one or two drinks, it's a food. You have three, four, five, six drinks, depending on your tolerance. It's a drug. Mm-hmm. You have 20 drinks. It's a poison, right? It yeah, all depends on your dosage. I sent Graham two papers this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is called, Are Fluoride Levels in Drinking Water Associated with Hypothyroidism Prevalence in England? A Large Observational Study of GP Practice Data and Fluoride Levels in Drinking Water from 2015. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it's an analysis of 2012 data. Right. Uh, that looks at two locations in England, mm. um, one with high fluoride concentration with low fluoride concentration, and attempts to draw associations with hyperthi- hypothyroidism right. prevalence. Underactive under thyroid gland is what we're talking about. That's right. right. Yeah. Which and leads to growth problems? Or well, exactly. Tired all the time? That's exactly what it leads to. An, an underactive sure thyroid all the time. Can, can cause weight gain. It can cause hair loss, fatigue, depression, mm. all these wonderful things that we both suffer from. Right. <laughs> it's the fluoride, damn it. I know it is. Fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we've ever had to face. What are you quoting there, Graham? <laughs> Dr. Strangelove. There we should insert the actual We are uh, going to insert the actual quote. The actual clip. Because uh, Graham actually checked and we're legally allowed to. So mm-hmm. we're going to do that. It's all about proportions since that clip is such a small piece of the entire movie. It's a very long movie, so we could actually probably get away with more of it. Have you ever heard of a thing called fluoridation? Fluoridation of water? Uh, yes, I, I have heard of that, Jack, yes. Yes. Well, do you know what it is? No. No, I don't know what it is now. Do you realize that fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we have ever had to face? So you want to describe the, the study? Yeah, the study, to me, um, has one question, one big question that I'm asking. It seems like a small sample, first of all, two communities. So they had a community in uh, Greater Manchester, the non-fluoridated fluoridated area, mm-hmm. and then the West Midlands, the wholly fluoridated area. And they re- reported that... There, people in the fluoridated area were twice as likely to report high hypothyroidism. That's right. There could be a ton of different things going on in West Midlands that would cause hypothyroidism. Yeah. Um, so to compare these two populations and then to say there's this correlation, and then they go on to say that uh, hypothyroidism is a major health concern, and the findings of the study raise particular concerns about the validity of community fluoridation as a safe public health measure. That's irresponsible i think <laughs> um to to have that conclusion based on looking at these two communities um alone so but. i i always like to look at who the um the researcher is mm-hmm. and this individual happens to be an economist and economists can have uh, extraordinarily good statistical techniques and abilities or really quite poor ones mm-hmm. um by the way he is now since moved and is now a associate professor at the university of toronto ah yeah he's one of your people now and my issues with this have to do with the statistics okay, and how they design the study. You're the expert. You can even stay, say statistics properly. I can't. Yeah. I can't. Here we go. Statistics. Statist- see, I can't say it. <laughs> now that I brought your attention to it. <laughs> I think that's a sign of intelligence. Only dumb people can say statistics correctly. <laughs> statistics. 
So this is not only an observational study, it's what's called an ecological study. Have we mm. talked about that before? No. So ec ecological, to my mind, is something about the natural environment, but it seems like yeah, it's a little bit different it's here. not what it means here. Right. So an ecological study is one in which the unit of analysis isn't an individual, it's a population. Isn't all epidemiology about that? No. Well, we can, we can study populations, but within those populations, we're analyzing individuals. For example, if I follow 20 smokers and 20 non-smokers for 10 years mm -hmm. and see which ones develop uh, cancer, that's um, a population study, but I'm looking at the experiences of the individuals in that population. Okay. An ecological study, I don't drill down into the population. The I see. So say I look at um, uh, crime rates... Uh, in different countries mm -hmm. and correlate them with the gun control laws in those right. countries. That's an ecological study. Mm -hmm. So the unit of analysis is the country, not the people okay. in the country. So this is an ecological study. It's mm -hmm. comparing populations, not individuals. So you were right in pointing out that we don't know what the actual individual experiences are. Right. We don't know why this person is hypothyroidism. It mm -hmm. may have nothing to do with it. Yeah. So the and also, there could be different reporting rates for hyperthyroidism. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's so, just, we're on the surface here, what's wrong with this yeah. study. So um, going back to the ecological studies, though, is there's something called the ecological fallacy that comes out of ecological studies. And the ecological fallacy is this te temptation to say things conclusively about individuals, even though you're only talking about their populations. Right. And that's because we want to make all knowledge useful so right, and yeah. relevant, right? So they think that their, yeah. their study is not going to have uh, any compelling argument unless they can bring it down to... The example individual. I give my students yeah. is, um, this is a real study. We, we looked at, in the province of Ontario, communities with high numbers of dairy farms or farms in general uh -huh. are also communities with low levels of allergy complaints. Right. So the conclusion is, well, maybe there's something about exposure to farm animals that's mm -hmm. protective about allergies. Mm -hmm. And that's true. There is. Yeah. Your so, immune system is challenged. Exactly. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean if you're a kid living in Aurelia, mm -hmm. you're going to have no allergies. Right. You could be the guy that has allergies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can't make predictions about individual behavior. We can just start the conversation about possible associations right, right. and I, i'll also like to say this is the this is the basis of racism actually uh -huh. is making assumptions about individuals based on observations about group behavior right, right. it's interesting so that's the first thing wrong here the second thing wrong is um there is like our our episode last time when we talked about confounding there's a lot of confounding mm -hmm. here as well we don't know what other factors may be at play right. in showing associations between living in this community and having and it's a fairly short-term study too, isn't it? It's yeah. 2012. 2012, exactly. One-year one data. One-year data, two relatively small populations. Um, it, there seems to be a lot. Here's a question. Yeah. They had access to all British data, but they chose two yeah. communities. Yeah, that, that stood out to me as strange. Because well, there could be all sorts of things about Greater Manchester, which could lead to uh, high, hypothyroid, high hypothyroidism. That's almost mm -hmm. as hard as to, to say as statistics. I'm a, I haven't looked at a map, but I'm assuming Greater Manchester is a high, urban urban densely urban area where the west midlands is not mm -hmm. so there's going to be more access to health clinics and doctors there's going to be a higher detection rate for for this sort of stuff. as a non-statistician let me ask yeah. you something mm -hmm. if you had access to all this data but you choose two extreme points to analyze right. yeah. does that 
uh, suggest to you that we are allowing a kind of bias to interfere in our analysis? Like what kind of bias do you think this introduces? That's a bias when you want to find something and then you go yeah. look for the two data sets that prove what there you want is. to find. So when yeah. you select extreme examples, mm -hmm. you are biasing towards rejecting the null hypothesis. Right. You're yeah. more likely to find something than not. Is that a selection bias? Is that what that's called? Well, this case is a selection bias, yeah. yeah. And it's also a little bit of you know regression towards the mean. If you do this a thousand times, you mm -hmm. probably find well, fewer and fewer mm -hmm. associations. As an aside, right. as an aside, when I was working with the U.S. Uh, government uh, ten years ago or something, black ops mission. Sure, yeah. Uh, I was asked to do a report on hyperthyroidism. Mm -hmm. Oh, hyper. Right. Okay. So I spent you know six weeks writing this report, but I was distracted with other things. I was living in Washington D.C. Nine Eleven had just happened. Wow. I was building a career on bioterrorism commentary, and that was taking up all my time. So I submitted my my report, and then I was called in for a, a meeting with my superior, saying, so, "How did that career work out, by the way? Uh, <laughs> the bioterrorism." Well, I'm a brown guy living in Canada now, so <laughs> make your own conclusions. So it's you. <laughs> I never knew that you were you, you were branding yourself as a bioterrorism pundit. <laughs> I did something like you. <laughs> anyway, so I was brought with a meeting with my superiors saying, uh -huh. sir, a good report, but we'd actually ask you to write one on hypothyroidism. Oh, no. Oh, I guess my uh, my tenure here is coming to an end soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's like something out of The Simpsons. Dope. <laughs> 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 we'll just change hypo, hyper to hypo. And then just we'll... like put a knot in front of all That's the verbs. Right. <laughs> just invert all the results. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's kind of funny. Actually. So it's so this study. It's I, I'm curious. Hyperthyroidism. What are the symptoms of that? Are you, like a lot of energy, very low weight, or you never uh, sleep? Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, a hi hypertension, mm. high blood pressure, and uh, it's, it's actually quite dangerous. Right. In fact, a lot of hypertensive cases are misattributed to hyper to hyperthyroidism and vice mm. versa. Mm. One of the first things they test you for if you've got high blood pressure is well, maybe you've got an overactive thyroid. Right. right. If you have low blood, low blood pressure, as I do, mm -hmm. should I get my thyroid tested? Uh, as as not a real doctor, I have no idea. Oh, yeah. darn it. <laughs> Let's go with yes. What's, what's, Let's go yeah, with it's yes. always safer to say yes. And I'm sure a real doctor will call it and tell us, you guys are idiots, and you'll be right. <laughs> yeah. Why are you using that doctor <laughs> title anyway? Okay, so. <laughs> so. So the author, when, when faced with these criticisms right. about it being an ecological analysis and not, you mm -hmm. know, an individual level analysis... And a biased one because right. they're using just too small. The data, I'm quoting here, the data was fine-grained enough to not require statistical analysis that could take some of these confounders into account. What? What does that even mean? Okay. It means that they think that they're right, but I don't see any statistical relevance for that. Right. But it's, it's so interesting. There's so other kinds of issues here. See, these sorts of studies, I mean, it's probably not as bad as the Wakefield study, the discredited junk study on autism and, and vaccines. But this sort of study will feed into people who want to believe exactly. in a fluoride conspiracy. Yeah. The technique you use is logistic regression, which is my favorite statistical mm -hmm. technique. I make all my students. You're so regressive. <laughs> it, what it is, is it takes a soup of variables mm -hmm. and we um, essentially mm -hmm. hold them all constant. Variable soup. To, to determine which ones are most responsible for an outcome. Mm -hmm. And the outcome has two levels. It's a, right. it's a binary logistic regression. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's say we've got a thousand people and we got we can measure their sex their age their education level they have this disease they've got this level of stuff in their blood etc and the outcome we're looking at is do they have hypothyroidism or not right okay so the analysis tells us well this factor gives is this amount responsible right. this factor is that mm -hmm. amount responsible mm -hmm. and so forth mm -hmm. and they've concluded here that the exposure to fluoridation mm -hmm. is a potent factor in this mix. Mm. It's a dangerous analysis, though, because how you treat these variables right. will affect the model. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at is they've done a lot of uh, a lot of what's called categorization. So they've taken continuous variables and turned them into categories. Mm-hmm. So for example, I may know your age. You're 25, right? right? Yeah. So and I, I look at and I convert that 25 to uh, 18 uh, uh, and under or over 18. Right. So I've created a category variable with two levels mm-hmm. out of a continuous variable, right, which right, is age. Right, right. We do this for convenience reasons, and, and maybe it's more meaningful because 18 has you know, a realistic meaning in our society. Mm-hmm. But when we go from continuous to cater- categorical variables, mm-hmm. we lose information. Right, yeah. If I know you're over 18, I don't know that you're 25. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this study has a lot of categorization. Ah. And they've made these categories fairly arbitrary. Mm-hmm. They've cut off, for example, levels of fluoridation. They decided this cutoff is extreme and this cutoff right. isn't without giving a reason for yeah. it. It's What's, similar to the, the BMI study that we looked at um, in the last episode in that if you just move what you call healthy BMI a little bit, then the, the whole effect of the study is nullified. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And so it's so dangerous when you deal with multivariate statistics without being very careful about justifying every decision you make. You're going to bias your model in one direction or another. And I think that's what's happened here. It's a very biased model. Right. And it's poor statistics. Is there any reason someone would be doing this? You yeah. can manufacture as this person a consultant for the anti-fluoride? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, well, he's a colleague of yours now. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm not, not going to go down that road. <laughs> but I, went, I just, just out of curiosity, I went onto YouTube and I typed in fluoride. Um, because it's, I think going on YouTube and typing something in, a lot of people get their information from these viral videos. Right? So I went to the videos that had like 16 million views about fluoride. And they're all part of this. Fluoride is bad for you. Fluoride is a poison. Conspir- and, and they'll use arguments like... Uh, well, it says here in the toothpaste, you shouldn't ingest too much of this toothpaste, but why are they putting it in our water? And, right, you know, right, stuff right. like arguments like yeah. that. Yeah, or, um, or the theory that, you know, they drop the uh, oxygen mass in plane uh, because oxygen is a, a drug that will stupefy you mm-hmm. and they want you to knock you out when the plane is having problems. Right. That, that kind of <laughs> logic. <laughs> so the last thing I want to say about this particular study yeah. is that is a boring statistics observation again. Okay. So the outcome... Unlike all the scintillating, fascinating <laughs> stuff we've been talking about so far. So the outcome variable mm-hmm. here, uh, as I said before, is a binary level thing. So right. uh, either you've got hypothyroidism or you don't. Yeah. They had the actual prevalence numbers mm-hmm. of hypothyroidism. They chose to go with this uh, distinction between presence and absence right. rather than looking at the actual prevalence of ah. continuous variable. Okay, so at a certain point, they just cut off no, so how is there a spectrum of having, because, having or not having? Because it's not looking at individuals ha- having or not having, looking at tertiles, which is, you know, if. You this just made pers- that word up. No, tertile no. is a, a subdivision of three. Tertile, okay. Right. Um, so, I like that word, tertile. <laughs> it's like tertiary, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So instead of saying uh, more than half have it, uh, in this population, mm-hmm. we say that the top turtile is this amount. Top turtile. Know, right? <laughs> when you separate, we should things, have a mascot called the turtile turtle. <laughs> turtiles very rarely used. Usually, yeah. it's quintiles or quartiles. Quartiles, yeah. And what what, what what do you call just half? Half. Half. Yeah. <laughs> There's no like bitile. <laughs> the cutoff is median. Okay. By choosing a top turtile as mm-hmm. their cutoff here, they've automatically biased themselves to finding right. something. Right. Oh, okay. Real, you know? We like to be conservative in statistics mm-hmm. and err towards the continuous outcome right, so right. we can see gradated yeah. levels of influence rather than these. So when you see a study that has done this sort of thing, uh, it sounds like at least three things going on that would would bias the results mm-hmm. towards finding a correlation between fluoride and hypothyroidism. Right. Um, 
that that seems to be evidence that they're already going in looking for something and they're yeah or looking to publish right you know okay. like i'm guilty of it as well i see uh, my grad students no one's going to publish a study that says oh fluoride's fine yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or, they can, but not yeah. journalism is going to read, and it's not going to go into the media yeah. either. Right? Like, I'm I'm hesitant to to attribute um, nefarious intents on these people. No, that's what I'm driving at. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I don't. I, I I more attribute just clumsiness. Right. And maybe they need to consult an actual statistician mm-hmm. rather than an economist. Right. In my experience, economists are not very good statisticians. Right. I'm not a very good statistician. Uh-huh. Yeah. I consult good ones. Right. right. You know, so that's the danger here. But we have a, a second paper here that's on the same topic. It's a, a meta study, right? Yeah. Let me just bring this up here if I can. It's called um, uh, Developmental Fluoride Neurotoxicity, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Mm-hmm. That's a bit scarier, fluoride neurotoxicity. Right. And this one looks at an association between the amount of fluoride in the water and the IQ of children mm-hmm. in those communities. Right. And the premise, the background, they say, fluoride may cause neurotoxicity in animal models and acute fluoride poisoning causes neurotoxicity in adults. Very little is known of its effects on children's neurodevelopment. So I'm assuming acute fluoride poisoning are, is, are very high levels of fluoride. Right. Say that again, sorry? Uh, the, the phrase acute fluoride poisoning yeah. seems to be dealing with very high levels of fluoride. So right. is, is it to say if we give people a bunch of fluoride, it's, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's got to be bad when we give them a little tiny bit. I mean, that's kind of what's the, of. the assumption that's behind yeah. this. I mean, I, fine, go find out. But I, I find your humanities f- approach this interesting mm-hmm. because you're, you're sort of uncovering this subtle psychological motivation and maybe an unexplored semantic force that's mm-hmm. caused people to think a certain way that we haven't thought about before mm-hmm. in epidemiology. Well, that's what I was intending to do. Yes, <laughs> that's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to, uh, well, this back to again, the science. This again is a, a meta-study, as you mentioned. It's a review of 27 studies. So again, we have the possibility that the selection was inappropriate, right. but I'm not going to go that deep into it. I think mm. some of the issues with this one are, um, first is that the papers they looked at are old. Right. Like, at least and many of them are from China as well, which I thought was unusual. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a Chinese scholar that's looking at this. Ah, okay. Right. We'll get back to the Chinese thing. That, that's yeah. kind of important here. Okay. But the old papers are relevant uh, mm-hmm. because recent studies are more accurate. Right. So We hope. Well, they are, they are in this particular field, according to some of the reviewers oh, okay. I've read. Oh, you're not speaking in general terms. Recent studies are no, always more accurate. Field, this, okay. in this particular field, recent okay. studies are more accurate. And so it's curious why they've erred on the side of the older studies right. when we have newer ones that are more important. Right. But the Chinese, I think, Chinese uh, communities have more fluoride than we have in our water supply. Mm-hmm. So their results are not necessarily applicable to North American conclusions. Right. That's the first thing to consider. The second is, this is also something of an ecological also, study. Also, um, go on. Many Chinese, city, many Chinese cities are quite polluted. Right. Yeah, so we're not dealing just with everything's the same in China and other cities. So I'm, I'm reticent to criticize these authors because mm-hmm. they haven't phrased their conclusions in the same declaratory fashion. Right, right. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to quote uh, one of them here. It says, Our review cannot be used to derive an exposure limit because the actual exposures of individual children are not known. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Misclassification of children in both high and low exposure groups may have occurred if a child were drinking water from other sources, for example, at school or in the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't know anything about these people, really. Right. And plus, there's a possibility that uh, that these communities with high fluoride are also communities with low income or mm-hmm. something else going on. Mm-hmm. So all kinds of possible confounding errors could happen mm-hmm. here. 
Oh, the, the conclusion. I don't think we told them, the audience, what the oh, conclusion was. Yeah, yeah what is it? Uh, which is high fluoride levels in water are, are associated with lower IQ right. children. Right. right. Okay. So entirely possible that just low-income areas are more heavily fluoridated mm, right. Right, for reasons that you know, a number of socioeconomic reasons you can imagine. And, and low SES is associated with low IQ for education. What is SES again? Socioeconomic status. Okay, thanks. And socioeconomic status is a measurement of education, income, and social class. Right. So, How do they measure that last one? Oh, it's complicated. So everyone does it differently. The mm. British are really big into this. Right. Of course they would yeah. be. So they actually have... They invented class. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have tables of, if your profession is this, we mm. rank you this way. Right, right. So someone like a priest may have a low income, but mm. high social class. I see. Yeah. Or a military officer may have low income and low education, possibly, right. but high social class. In England? In England, yeah. Police officers don't have high social class. No, military officers. Military officers. Right. Okay. Whereas a professor would have low income, right. high social class, yes, high education. That's why I got into this field. <laughs> For the status. <laughs> yeah, so um, there we have it with fluoridization, fluoridation and other stuff. We have a few minutes left for some questions, some facts and furious. Go for it. Okay. Um, I'm just... Uh, Let's want to talk some more about fluoride. Uh, no, ecological studies, okay. uh, the value of them. It right. sounds like there are a lot of problems with them. Yeah. So is the value uh, to identify an area which needs further inquiry? You're then, at the beginning of wisdom. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, one ecological study that I did, I looked at female empowerment mm-hmm. and revolutionary status amongst Arab Spring countries. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. what we did, we looked at uh, Arab countries that either had revolted or in the process of revolting or have yet to revolt. Mm-hmm. And we looked at UN indicators of female development, things mm-hmm. like number of women in parliament, um, num- number of women with uh, uh, minimal education, etc. And we found a few things. We mm-hmm. found certain indicators were associated with revolutionary status. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, the more women there were compared to men, the more likely they were to be involved in revolution. Mm-hmm. Does that tell us anything? Nothing. It tells right. us nothing. Right. right. It doesn't mean that these women are involved in the revolution. Mm-hmm. It means nothing. But it begins the conversation that maybe there is a role for uh, gender politics right. in political upheaval. Mm-hmm. So it, it answers no question. Yeah. It allows us to ask more questions. Right. Because I won't be convinced about the fluoride conspiracy until someone actually demonstrates the, the mechanism of why a small amount of fluoride Long-term exposures to small amount of fluoride would affect your brain or whatever they're right. And until they can tell me that, then I'm sort of like, okay, fine, go back and study well, it more. Well, your inability to understand this clearly indicates that you're you're ingesting too much fluoride. <laughs> My precious bodily fluids are at risk. <laughs> I don't deny them enough. <laughs> okay. I want to finish off with one... Oh, oh, fact. No, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, fact. Yeah, yeah. A completely unrelated question. Anyways, right. I find it such a fascinating question. <laughs> who is the first person in mm. history whose name we know? Ah, this is a good question. I mean, would something like Adam in the Bible count? No, an actual historical figure. An actual historical figure. First person in history whose name we know. I'm going to go with an Egyptian uh, pharaoh. Let's break it down. So uh, let's start the part of the world. Yeah. So Middle Easter is a, is a yeah. good guess. Yeah. So it's either like a Mesopotamian, Egyptian, like Sumerian, like that sort of... You're absolutely right. That is exactly the uh, right civilization. Let's go for Sumerian. Okay, that's that's correct. And, and then now let's go for someone that would have a record. So it would have to be royalty or someone associated with royalty. That's interesting. I that's would think. interesting. And it's not. 
Is it right. a scribe or something? It's so interesting that okay. we think it, it'll be a, a military leader, a scribe, yeah. well, a maybe artist. it's some merchant or, in a cuneiform ledger or something like that. It's an accountant. An accountant, there. Is that close. Yeah, it has to be some sort of financial record. Than a cuneiform. So there is actually a tablet called the Kushim tablet. Mm. And it's 5,000 years old, and it's in Iraq. Mm. And what it is, it's a receipt for multiple shipments of barley. And it right. reads 29,086 measures of barley 37 months, signed Kushim. Mm, Kushim. Yeah, and people don't know whether Kushim is an individual or a consortium. Right. They think it's an individual. Uh-huh. So he is the oldest name we know, an accountant. An accountant, yeah. Now, uh, about... So wait, the name is not the merchant selling? The, the name no, is the it's, it's the guy who made down. the records. Well, maybe it. it's the merchant, yeah, we don't know, yeah. but definitely it's the guy making right. uh, accounting notes. And then after that, the next two names that we know, mm-hmm. about a few years later after Kushim, were someone named Gal Sal, mm-hmm. And two people named Mpop X and Sukalgir. He sounds like Babylonian. Things. Well, the Sumerian. Yeah. And uh, Gal Sal is a slave owner. Mm. And the other two are his slaves. Ah. So the, the slaves' th- names were recorded. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And a, a purchase receipt, essentially. I guess because there were there were products that yeah. were being sold. So okay. So recorded history. The first people we know of were an accountant, mm-hmm. a slave owner, mm-hmm. and two slaves. And two slaves. I thought that's amazing. Yeah, that is. That's kind of cool. Kushim. <laughs> Well, that takes us to half an hour. Mm-hmm. So, uh, until further notice. Until further notice. I need to prepare. Can we call what you just did uh, the benevolent oh. uh, emporium of oh. celestial knowledge? Sure. <laughs> the, is that what we call it now? I think it's the emporium of benevolent celestial knowledge. We should know the names of our own We segments. know nothing. <laughs> which is actually the subtitle of our podcast. That's right. We know nothing. We know nothing. All right. On that note, uh, this is uh, Monkey Ray. Monkey Graham. Signing off. <laughs>